Let's doing episode 95. Ari talks with Peter Shallard of Commit Action about entrepreneurs and fear, work-life balance, and getting entrepreneurs to do less. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 95. This episode of the Less Doing Podcast is brought to you by Cognity. Cognity is an organic energizing tea made with 100 milligrams of L-theanine that promotes mental clarity and focus so you can have a productive day. It helps you stay focused and alert without the jitters or crash. I teamed up with Cognity to get you 10% off and a free surprise for your first order. Just use the referral code LESSDOING during checkout. Now, Cognity is delicious and it really does seem to have an effect on my mental performance. I love it and I've been having it pretty much daily for a couple months now. So I definitely recommend people check out Cognity. I love it. Indeed. Yeah. I highly recommend it also. Cool. So today's interview is with Peter Shallard, who is the entrepreneur's psychiatrist or psychologist, which is, I feel like an unfortunate position, but he's, he's really, really great conversation. He's a really cool guy. Uh, and it was a, it was a great interview. So today I've got just a few links. Again, we're, we're still on, uh, we're on London Crunch here, so we want to get as many episodes out as we can. And uh, the first one, there was an article about Dawn Simulation. I think I referred to this a little while back, but basically yeah. there was... Did I? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... But, but, but can't crack on. Yeah. yeah, no, it was a really good... It was just a good study, basically, showing how simulating Dawn and, and light in the morning, like natural light, help people have uh, just better work and physical performance during the day. So uh, if I referred to it before, I won't get too far into it. But basically, you can look at things like the Aura device or even like the Philips wake light, and those will help sort of gradually wake you with artificial sun almost. So, uh, okay, there's a Indiegogo campaign that a friend of mine is running, uh, Amir Rosick. So Amir is a, a health and wellness expert. I've had him not on the podcast. I've interviewed him for Entheos before. And he's just a really cool guy. He actually started his health journey after going to prison, um, which was, he really, really? switched. Yeah, it's a really interesting story, honestly. He he was like, he, he wasn't a bad kid, but he just used to get into a lot of fights, basically. And he got into one fight that went a little too far. And he ended up in prison for, I think, seven months and uh, turned his life around and really is a, a a very, very knowledgeable source of, of health and wellness information. But he's got this Indiegogo campaign for this Riparo underwear line that he's doing, and it has EMF protection in it. So it's uh, electromagnetic frequency protection. So basically from your cell phone, from any electronics, you can protect your balls from radiation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's actually the title of it, by the way. It's Protect Your Balls, Sexy Premium EMF Underwear. So uh, he is, sent me a yeah. he sent me a pair of these. They're they're very comfortable. You wouldn't notice anything. It's not like they're lined with tinfoil or anything. They they feel uh, they feel like normal underwear, and they will protect you. And if you are a fan of the Four Hour Body or you know Tim Ferriss's work, there is reasonable information to show that protecting your uh, testicles from electromagnetic radiation can actually have a significant effect on your sperm quality and uh, ability to be fertile. So yeah. I, I, I feel like if I keep talking, I'm going to go down a road I don't want to go. So that's, sure. we'll leave sure. it at that. I'm just looking at this this link. It, yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and they want to do a whole line. They want to do shirts and uh, undershirts and everything. So, um, Okay, so there is a service called Happy Grasshopper. And I love that this is a service now. It's basically follow-up emails as a service. So they basically create amazing follow-up emails for salespeople and stuff. So, you know, we have followup.cc, which helps you follow up with people. This is where they're actually producing the emails. So it's 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 almost like beyond email marketing. They're specifically doing email follow-up stuff. Oh, that's really clever. Yeah, yeah, so it's really, really interesting. And I, I've seen a couple examples, and it's it's great. So if you're in sales and you, you deal with a lot of email stuff, this may be something to look at. Yeah. Um, did you see Hive? Hive? No, I have not looked at Hive. Hive is the first unlimited I... cloud storage that is free. Oh, really? Yeah. So you can store whatever you want, as much as you want, for free. Unlimited documents, photos, music, videos, unlimited for wow. free. <laughs> and uh, what's, and yeah. ba- there's no catch. Basically, if you want to have the premium service, all, 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 basically th- what the premium service does is it allows you to remove ads. So you'll have ads when you're looking at it. Oh, okay. uh, and yeah. you can do HD streaming if you pay for the premium service. However, oh, right. if you get more friends to join, then the premium becomes free also. Wow. So I don't know how I don't know how this works and how they're doing this, but it's a really slick app, first of all. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, it's I'm this is pretty amazing. So I, I really hope that this does well, actually, because it's a great idea. Wow, that is cool. You can yeah. give people give Dropbox a run for its money. Yeah. Right. Uh, so there is a great article on James Clear's website, and James is a friend of mine too from uh, the Mastermind Talks. Really cool guy. I've had him on the Anthios. Uh, conference before and basically it's just a it's just a good article about the theory of cumulative stress and it's basically like how to recover when stress builds up and and it's a good article huh. worth reading about it but i particularly like is there's this uh graphic that he did and there's a bucket which is your body and there's water yeah. and the filling up the water is sleep nutrition and recovery so that's filling up your bucket and then draining that bucket is training work and school and stress and it's basically saying like you can deplete and deplete and deplete, but then you have to recover. You have to sleep. You have to fuel your body properly. And just sort of looking at that equilibrium and that balance, I just I just like the graphic. I like that way of looking at it. It's it's a good read. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then there's a Kickstarter campaign called the Air Umbrella. Yeah, I saw this on um, Giz. Gizmag. Yeah, exactly. Yesterday. That's that's where this, I found if it. If this works, it's amazing. If this works, that's a big if I have to say. But basically, what yeah. this is is it looks like it looks like a back massager from uh, Hamaker Schlemmer yeah. or something. Yeah, and good. it produces this air blast around you that is supposed to basically stop. It's basically creating like this air force field around you to stop the rain. Yeah. Now this is the only issue I have with it. Well, a couple issues. One, I don't know if it actually works. But the other thing is that. I don't know. I don't quite know the point because an umbrella, when you're not using it, doesn't take up any more room than this does because it's folded up. And mm-hmm. when you're using it, you don't care because you're out in the rain using it. So I think it's mostly. Oh, I think I think the point is, hey, look, uh, umbrellas are big wieldy things that get blown around by the wind, you know. And uh, if this could eliminate that, I think it would. If it, if it works. Oh, you're right. It'd be that's really cool. That's know? totally. I didn't even think about it that way. You're right. Yeah. It can't be inverted. It can't get blown away. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, you know, hitting other people in the eye. You can just wander down the street and and effectively spray everyone else with them. 
with the rain that's not falling upon you. Absolutely. Okay. That's, probably, that's that a good is, point. That's probably what would happen though, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's probably basically blowing air, blowing rain. I'd love to see this thing place. in action, you know? Yeah. So uh, do you have any links for this, uh, this episode, Felix? Um, yeah. Here's another key commands thing, okay? <laughs> I just can't get enough key commands. Obviously. This is my number one, number one thing. And it's called launch bar. You know, I think this works for, I think it's for PC and Mac. Um, what it does is it will, most people, if they want to launch an application or a software program, whatever you want to call it, um, they'll go and find it in the dock or the start menu or however it works. Um, launch bar is, brings, um, it, everything's done through the keyboard. So, for example, all I do to activate launch bar is I press command space bar or control space bar on the PC and and then I just type the name of the application I want to open. And so if I want to open Logic, I start typing L-O-G and it will instantly see, guess that I want to open Logic and I press enter and Logic opens. I can also open recent files, go to different places um, in, in the computer um, if I want to find your telephone number, I just type um, Ari Mizell. Um, I can use the arrow keys, go down, and it gives me all of your contact info right for viewing. And the cool thing is if I press spacebar, it will display the phone number that I'm looking for in massive font across the, the front of the screen, which is really cool when somebody asks for a phone number. Um, anyway, check it out. It does so much more from that. It's one of those things that's like the tip of the iceberg. But it is um huge, huge productivity tool. Yeah, and I agree. And, and by the way, since Felix is obviously setting himself up to be our, our keyboard uh, shortcut expert, if you have any questions, please uh, ask us. You can you can post them on the this episode in the the comment section of the blog, or of course you can tweet. Fe- don't tweet me about it because Felix is the expert. So you can yeah, tweet I'm, at I'm Felix at Bird. Felix Bird. Yeah. Uh, or you can email me felixbird at gmail.com or you can go to my website even www.felixbird.com that's right yeah all right well thank you everybody thanks again for this uh for this quick episode and we will see you next time see you next time bye so now speaking with peter shallard who is (laughs) the shrink for entrepreneurs which is Honestly, one of the best titles for anybody I think I've ever had on the show. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me, man. So first of all, I'm, I feel bad for you if you're the shrink for entrepreneurs. How did that happen? <laughs> no, don't feel bad. It's great. Um, look, it, it happened. Uh, it happened because I was I became an entrepreneur. My uh, my first business was a private therapy practice, and um, actually by accident, I had a, a CEO of a kind of small but growing business come in to see me. As a client, this is years ago. I think he was trying to get rid of a flying phobia or something. And uh, it's a long story, but he uh, had a great experience working with me. It was kind of unlike any client I had worked with before and his willingness to kind of proactively seek change. Um, he's just so keen to kind of understand his thinking and, and shift his performance in a positive direction. It worked out great. Uh, he referred a few buddies and they referred a few buddies. And then one day I woke up and realized my entire week of client work was every single person was self-employed.
Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's more to it than that, but that's the short answer. Sure, sure. No, of course. So uh, what is your, uh, like, uh, okay, so what, what do you see then as that commonality? Because you know, I, I've, I've heard more than a couple of speeches actually where somebody's given uh, the, they've described the symptoms of ADD or of psycho, psychopathy or all sorts of things. And they're like, oh, and these are actually the same traits of entrepreneurs. So, you know, what, what are the most common things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think that, look, I think that, um, I think that some of those, uh, it's very, it's a very common kind of conversation in Silicon Valley circles. I've found for people to talk about some of these like clinically diagnosable problems and say that these are, these are, uh, entrepreneurial traits. And I think that that can be the case for a certain type of startup CEO or something like that. But my experience is that, uh, entrepreneurs, I work across a range of different industries. I have clients who are in technology, who are in medicine, who are in aviation, like in everything in between. It's just crazy. And I think that once you start looking at that broader spectrum, there, it, you can't necessarily say, well, ADD is the entrepreneurial trait or whatever. But that said, I think that some of the things that entrepreneurs wrestle with that other people don't, uh, at least in my experience, is that they have these massive expectations for themselves uh, that are constantly kind of being shifted. The bar is constantly being raised for entrepreneurs. Like I, I like to joke with some of my clients that when they have a big win in life and business, you know, they, some big project kind of comes to a, comes to that critical victory moment, or maybe they exit a company or something like that. It's almost as though they pop a bottle of champagne. And by the time the cork has flown out and hit the ground, they've already set the next goal. And they're kind of feeling like, oh man, I've got to get that done now too, you know? So there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of like kind of celebration and satisfaction because entrepreneurs are so relentlessly driven and have such huge expectations for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So there's a statistic that I, I, I love that I, I used to refer to a lot from, um, I think it's from Nifty from the National Foundation for Teaching Entrepreneurship and it's about young entrepreneurs and it said something like 75% of young entrepreneurs came from households where the mother was overbearing and the father was either physically or emotionally absent. Really? I haven't actually seen that study. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so, I, and I've always found that kind of fascinating for me because my, so my mother is a, is a very loving, you know, Jewish mother, typical Jewish mother. And my, and my father was, is a great entrepreneur and was always kind of emotionally absent with me. So it, it, it I think that it, it drives you in a, in a unusual way, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the case. I'm now like mentally categorizing and running through the last like 25 clients that I spoke to this week <laughs> and trying to just trying to analyze and think is that is that true for a lot of them? I mean, it's funny because I think that that's true for me. Like that that dynamic, you know, broadly speaking, is present in my uh, in my life as well. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, so now one one thing that you must deal with, I'm assu- well, is is managing fear, right? Because right. entrepreneurs are either fearless, I think, or they or they have enormous amounts of fear. That it seems like they're like there's nowhere in the middle. A lot of times, I feel like it's either they're driving themselves by their fear, or they're just there is no fear. <laughs> yeah, I look. I think that <clears throat> I think that everybody has an experience of fear. It's the way that they kind of uh, it's the it's it's what they do with that emotional signal that I think creates that that sort of dichotomy that you just described between people who seem to be super terrified and those who aren't. You know, in my experience, some of the most successful uh, folks that I've been lucky enough to work with 
kind of use fear as a bit of a compass. They, they, I was actually just talking with a client last week who was saying one of his primary kind of mechanisms or, uh, or sort of like a litmus test for picking the highest leverage actions day to day in terms of what he should focus on. Which is a huge question for a lot of entrepreneurs when you can literally pick what you do with your time and it's up to you to do the most important thing. He goes after the thing that makes him the most uncomfortable, the thing that he's most afraid of. And, um, and because of that, I think any, objectively we could say that this guy experiences a lot of fear, right? But uh, the way that he kind of uh, – there's almost this kind of sadistic, kind of masochistic quality to the way that he deals with it. Like he's like, oh, yeah, I'm afraid of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just recovering from a bit of an illness here. He's no, yeah, no. he's afraid of it. So he's like, bring it on. And that and in a weird way, I think that the entrepreneurs who really get this are actually transmuting the sensation of terror into the feeling of the sensation of excitement. And the two are very kind of chemically similar and and sort of kinesthetically similar in the way that we feel it in our body. And I think that that is uh, yeah, that's that's what's going on for people who are really crushing it or, or who are on the way to crushing it. Sure. So now another thing is that I, I'm imagining you see too is sort of that work-life balance issue or that it's like a buzzword almost nowadays. And I, for me, it's more about work-life integration because if you're passionate about what you're doing, you love what you're doing, it, it shouldn't necessarily be like a balance per se. But how do, you, how do you see people dealing with that a lot of times, whether they have a family or whether they don't? It, yeah, it's a massive challenge. I mean, of the, there's certain topics that come up with almost all my clients. You know, over a long enough time period, I'll talk with every single person on my client roster about this type of thing. Um, and we actually, I actually built a startup around uh, kind of beating procrastination and productivity. Um, this is separate to my work as the Shrink for Entrepreneurs, and also helping people kind of find that that balance uh, in their life which is so necessary for kind of coming up with the innovative and creative thinking that really moves you forward as an entrepreneur. And that's certainly the agenda I push with my clients is the idea that, you know, balance is important. And that it's so funny. This is the way that I kind of, I kind of dupe my super ambitious clients into pursuing balance and making it a priority. I kind of tell them that if you're not balanced, if you don't have the space in your life to kind of let your mind unravel and be able to think creatively and laterally, which is very hard to do when you're just relentlessly busy and focused on kind of linear outcomes and just checking things off your to-do list. You don't have the chance to kind of spot the, the, th- the actions in your blind spot, the things that you could be doing that could create exponential results rather than just incremental progress. And so I convince, this is my argument with a lot of sort of type A, very driven people to convince them that like actually sitting around by a pool with a cocktail or whatever your definition of rest and rejuvenation is, is a good idea because in the end it's going to help you get ahead. You know, there's a reason that Richard Branson spends a huge amount of time laying around in a hammock on a tropical island um, because that's where sometimes the best thinking happens. So, yeah, I think that there's an argument to be made that at a certain level, more busyness, more hard work is not going to be the differentiator that makes you more successful as an entrepreneur. Okay, and so that, the, to me, is the, yeah, the big argument for balance. So, so that, that, to me, really, that really uh, integrates really well with what, what I teach and what I do and you know, the, the whole idea of sort of less is more. And I want to actually talk about that a little bit further. So it, it, it would seem like you're cho- you, uh, Peter, are choosing a very, very uphill battle by trying to get entrepreneurs to do less, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, that. like I said, 
over a long enough time period, basically anyone who's working with me, and they're all super high performance people at the top of their respective fields, you know, around the world, we're going to have that conversation at some point. It's that's that's the answer to your first question. That's like the universal thing. Right. Of course. Okay. So then what sort of, I'm curious, like what sort of methodology, not methodology, sorry, but like what practices or rituals maybe do you try to get people to, to instill in their lives or habits that, that just can make them, you know, operate more efficiently, basically. I don't know if that's sort of the right way to frame it, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, the best way to answer that question is to tell you a little bit about what we've cooked up at Commit Action, which is my other company. Yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a startup and it's all about helping people kind of become more focused, beat procrastination, be more productive, and also get this balanced stuff taken care of. And um, we've tried to dig really deep into the neuroscience of, of all of this and find out, like, you know, what's the most empirical answer to these questions? We work with... Uh, the professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School who's big into the neuroscience of, of this type of human behavior change stuff. And what we've found is that uh, getting people to really massively scale back the amount of priorities they have seems to be one of the biggest game-changing kind of psychological steps you can take to move someone closer to balance and, and get them more spending more time in the zone doing that high leverage work that I think that we're, we're both sort of talking about and pushing as an agenda. So we've found that what doesn't work is entrepreneurs who have a to-do list, which I think everyone has at some level, but, but if you're working from a to-do list with like a thousand and one items, you know, every project or thought or idea or little thing that you've jotted down on note, you know, on your notepad or Evernote or whatever it is, and you kind of wake up on Monday morning and look at that and think, what am I going to do today? That is a total failure of prioritization, and it's going to result in a constant sensation of busyness and sort of that chasing at best kind of vaguely incremental progress. So what, what commit action is all about and what we've found is that when we get people to radically reduce the number of priorities and focus on our thing is we do three things a week, three significant picking up and moving the ball forward a week. And that's what we help our clients kind of identify and, and home in on. That seems to be what works. And, it, and it's consistent with what we hear anecdotally across different industries. You know, people like Peter Thiel talk about in the early days of PayPal, the executive team there were all given, every individual was given a single KPI to pursue, one priority above all others. And everyone had a different one. They all kind of worked together and, and planned that out. But it seems to be that when entrepreneurial thinkers get that real clear priority and eliminate a lot of the noise, a huge amount of that small stuff doesn't get done, but that's okay because we take action on the big things, um, you know, doing less, right? Right, exactly. So uh, now I'm curious about you, okay, so how, how is your sort of week set up and, you know, what do you, how, when do you do that sort of prioritization and, and are you working every day? Like what, what, what is your sort of, what's your schedule kind of like? Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, it's super fun. I, I've put a lot of thought into it. One of the things, where to begin? So on Sunday night or Monday morning, a little bit flexible with that one, 
I will go and I'll walk through the commit action process of identifying this ritual of identifying the three number one priorities that I'm going to be ruthlessly committed to for the next week. And that's where I'll actually check in. This is the only time during the week that I'll check in with my list of a thousand and one different things and pick which are the top three, which are the things that I want to have done within seven days. And sometimes they need to be broken down and put into you know something I can actually accomplish within that time period. And that's it. That's what I'll do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I'll look ahead at the calendar, and I have a lot of, uh, unlike a lot of entrepreneurs, I have a lot of commitments to other people because I work one on one in these consults, right, with my clients. And so, what I've learned about that, which I think is kind of interesting, is that if I schedule my client work, which is very much, to me, it feels like that classic kind of urgency, like it's very significant. I can't miss it. I always show up no matter how kind of tired or whatever I might feel. And it doesn't really drain me in the same way that doing kind of important but not urgent work does. And what I found is if I schedule client calls in the morning, say uh, uh, like 9 a.m. till like 12 or 1 or something, I'll just be completely spent. You know, for the end of the, the afternoon, I won't be able to get anything done at all. I'll just be brain dead, drooling at walls, you know, just staring at walls and drooling. And um, if I put them in the afternoon, I'm able to capture like a couple of hours of productivity in the morning where I can do things that are important to me, but not urgent to anybody, you know? Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm kind of wrestling with this. No, it's okay. Right it's, you know, at the beginning of the school year, actually, and every, every person I know who has kids at least has a little cold. So. Yeah, myself. and I do not, so I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I yeah. So what I found is that the kind of the syntax of the day is super important. You know, like the order in which it goes in. Just by reversing, like clients in the morning, I'll be half as productive. Whereas if I wake up and spend three hours, you know, working on something creative, like a piece of writing that I might be putting together. I do a lot of that. I write a, I have a, you know, reasonably popular blog about business psychology, like that kind of stuff, which is demanding something kind of deeper from me. I'll get it done and then I'll do the client work and that'll kind of draw from a different mental gas tank. And I'll arrive at the end of the day at like six o'clock at night, feeling the same level of exhaustion as if I had woken up and just hit the client calls from, you know, nine in the morning till noon, which is kind of weird, right? It's like this, the order of things seems to work really well for me. And I've tested this with a few other clients and had them do the same thing, you know, save the mornings for the, <coughs> you know, the important, the creative work where you're really only accountable, accountable to yourself to get it done. And then use the afternoon to be committed, you know, working with other people where you have to show up. Yeah, I think that's good. And I talk about timing a lot with people too, as there are better times of day, times of week, times of month for you to do certain activities. And, being able to learn that, so that's actually a good question. Then, and because I have my own thoughts on this, but how, how do you how do you help people find those best times? You know, because you can get pretty specific. I can tell you, for example, for me, uh, I don't like making phone calls before noon, and I don't know why that is. Uh, and it's just something I've noticed about myself that I'm just not as effective on the phone before noon. Um, and I'm not. It's not like I'm not a morning person, or I'm. It's just weird. Like I don't do well on the phone before noon, so I just really try not to schedule calls before noon. So how, how do you, and that was really trial and error. Like, how do you find that, that it's a good way for people to find that timing? Yeah, I, do, I think it's just experience. I mean, yeah. my, like it's taken me, me years to figure it out for myself. And I've definitely, I've definitely been able to help clients by simply just offering up my experience around this stuff and then saying, you know, try it out. 
So my favorite thing when I'm working with someone on productivity and, and this sort of habit stuff is to do like a seven day trial, you know, um, I don't want to say like, we're going to reinvent your whole life, but for seven days, why don't you just try shifting all of your appointments to the afternoon afternoon and just see what happens, you know, or uh, all of your phone calls or whatever. And, uh, and just kind of measure it. I mean, it's all totally subjective and anecdotal. And I found that these rules, like the, you know, this, this idea that you're talking about, about the afternoon being better for your phone calls, they seem to be consistently true for most people. There's very few clients I've worked with who have been like, you know what, Peter? no, I want to speak to people all morning and spend my afternoon and evening doing creative work and brainstorming and stuff like that. It doesn't seem to work that way. So I don't know. I appreciate this is a not a very scientific approach, but it uh, it seems to be consistent. So Yeah, no, I agree. I think that sometimes you just have to like turn it upside down and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think that... We, I usually get into those conversations with people who are really frustrated. And, you know, if you're listening into this and, and feeling frustrated with your productivity habits, there's a huge argument to be made for just literally doing the reverse of what you currently do for seven days because it breaks you out of that cycle of, of kind of carrying out the same behavior and expecting different results, you know? Yeah. I, I think that like a radical trial, like a radical reinvention of your schedule can be a lot of fun because it, it'll break everything and then give you the freedom to kind of assemble the the productivity ritual, the schedule that you want to have rather than just following the, the, the sort of status quo and the habit that you've built. Yeah, I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what I, well, what I like to ask actually, so this is sort of the last question here. The last question I always like to ask people on these interviews is, and you've given so much actually already, but hopefully you can give us three different ones. But so the, the top three personal tips for people to be more effective, you know, so any advice from anything you've done or training or anything that, that you think can help people be more effective? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> let me let me default to so at, at Commit Action we have a uh, we have this whole like video training series that we do where we just teach people about the five the top five principles that our coaches our productivity kind of ninjas are trained in with you know to work with coaches and we share like a sort of a, a deconstructed simple version of that um, and and the the first three of them to answer you is the first one is specificity so. A lot of people don't, a lot of people kind of lose the race running toward their goals or whatever outcomes they've set for themselves because before they've even tied up their shoes, because the way that they've set the goals is not psychologically conducive to progress. The unconscious mind is not like in love with or even really able to comprehend a goal in a way that kind of naturally moves us forward. And so the first thing that we coach on at Commit Action. Um, is is getting the getting your goals to the right level of specificity really thinking about you know how big does this goal need to be how abstract can it be versus how specific and finding that sweet spot in the middle where the brain can kind of go yes over the next kind of few days or week or month or whatever this is something that i can take action on so we get people who come to us who are like oh i want to build this business or i want to set up this whole new website or whatever and they've procrastinated it for week after week after week and so we help them break down something that's specific enough that they can actually go oh yes i can see an end to that insight and thus i can then work toward it so that's probably the first one um second is measurement it's I think that this is an old idea now, thanks to people like Tim, Tim Ferriss and the whole kind of quantified self movement that's unfolded in the last few years, and we're all better off for it. But the idea of you know if you if you don't measure something, you can't change it is so so true and so significant. 
And so the number of entrepreneurs who have kind of abstract goals, again, the specificity could be a problem, but they've got all these business goals in their lives where there's no measurement in place. So they really have, because of the the kind of like weird nature of entrepreneurial goals, it's not like we have a boss telling us, good job, you handed in this report, good job, you hit this KPI. You have to create your own system for tracking. You need your own gold star chart for measuring your effectiveness over time because if you're not even meta measuring something like the amount of kind of hours of focus you're you're doing or whatever, then it's very hard for you to know whether or not you're making progress. And even that can be a problem. You know, one of the most important things for an entrepreneur to be productive is to actually feel productive, to have an internal measure for today was a good day. You know, and a lot of entrepreneurs never feel that because they just feel like there's always something left to do. We yeah. never run out of goals, right? And so that's why measurement is so essential because once you start measuring something and actually accomplishing it, you get that positive feedback loop. Uh, kind of loop of like, hey, look at all these gold stars on my gold star chart. I did this stuff. I feel good. I'm making progress. And that'll actually help you push through that that kind of gap that occurs with most goals, most outcomes, where you have to take a lot of action for a number of weeks before you see an outcome. You know, I think weight loss is the classic example, right? Three or four weeks of eating good and exercising before you're really going to notice any change in the shape of your body or the way that you feel. And a lot of people don't have what it takes because they don't, they're not measuring anything. So they don't feel like two weeks in, they're just like, oh, this isn't working. I'm not making any progress. So, you know, as it is for health, that is very much the case for entrepreneurial goals, which are so wildly different from one another. We have to have some kind of a system. We have to build a way to measure what we're doing. Um, now you wanted one more, right? Three. Yes, please. Those are great. But yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta push you for the third. Uh, then the third pillar of productivity that we have is accountability. I think that this, we have five, so I was kind of just trying to choose there, but I think that, uh, I think accountability is super significant. You know, the, the reason that commit action exists and probably even the reason my shrink for entrepreneurs like business, business exists is because entrepreneurship is a profoundly lonely path, you know? It's and, and technology has made this even worse. It's this massive double-edged sword. We can build businesses that people couldn't even imagine 10 years ago, you know, online and whatnot. But the crazy thing is there's all these entrepreneurs, and I know a lot of them are listening to, to this interview, who are trying to build businesses literally in their PJs, in the basement of their house on their laptop. And that is not an environment that the human brain, you know, from a historical perspective is used to being in and being totally driven in and being super productive. Like this is unique in the history of our civilization, the idea of people doing these incredibly high leverage activities and leaping ahead in life in their basement, in their PJs, you know? Yeah. Like it just, it's weird. And our brain isn't kind of ready for it. And we can, because of the vacuum of accountability, because we're all alone and and no one, you know, we're in a position where we can go down there on Monday morning and be on Facebook for four hours. And this is true of my business. You know, no one's going to tell me off. I don't get in any trouble. No one knows. My clients have no idea that I spent all morning on Facebook or spend it doing something effective. So accountability is essential. Finding ways to stack multiple layers of accountability. And some of them are cheap and free, you know, free and easy, like having a uh, 
creating a mastermind group or, you know, just having a buddy who's on a similar path that you check in with or something like that. You know, a lot of people look at the heroes of kind of Silicon Valley and think how are these people like Zuckerberg, how are they so superhuman in their ability to get stuff done and build these empires? But what you don't realize when you're looking at those people is that they're supported underneath them by a framework of accountability. There's like six or seven executives who are direct reports who are meeting with that guy like every Monday morning and he has to make promises to them and then deliver on them. I will help you with this. I'll see you on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like that's going on. And then above him, there's a board of directors and advisory committees and they're all funneling into this web of accountability so that that person has to show up. They're compelled to show up and deliver on those big promises that they've made. So if you're building a business on your own in a basement somewhere, none of that is present. It's not going to find you by accident. You have to create it in some way if you want to be able to move ahead fast. Those are great. Those are really, really very to the point. I I think those are actionable. I I love those. So uh, Peter, thank you for those. And uh, what's the best place for people to find out more about you? We're going to link to it all in the show notes, but, but what's the best website, everything? Um, there's two. So if you like those those three tips there, we have those are three of our five pillars of productivity. We have a free video tra- training tutorial uh, over at commitaction.com. Um, and if you're interested in my work, I have a blog at petershallard.com, just my name. Or if you Google search the shrink for entrepreneurs, um, that's my site. That's where my kind of that's that that was where it all started. The beginning of my private therapy practice with entrepreneurs, and uh, you can read all about stuff there. There's a couple of there's a free ebook and some cool stuff to download if you're into that. So yeah, commitaction.com, petershallard.com. We would love to have you come check out our stuff. Great. Well, Peter, thank you for your time. That was a, that was a lot of fun, and uh, appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Hey everyone, it's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group as well as the Less Doing University which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.